What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rivardo, joined by my co-host, Alex Wilson. And if the Giants want to move up to the number one overall pick with the Chicago Bears to go ahead and take the quarterback of their choice, it's not going to be cheap. According to Ian Rappaport, the Chicago Bears are reportedly looking for a historic haul if they want to move out of that first overall pick. Sounds like they're leaning towards sticking and picking at number one overall, probably taking Caleb Williams out of USC. But if they are persuaded to move out of that first overall pick, it's going to take a haul that probably surpasses the one that they received for last year's number one overall pick. And last year's number one overall pick, they received quite a bit. So if they're going to exceed that amount with this trade, it's going to be a pretty disgusting embarrassment of riches for the Chicago Bears if they do wind up trading the number one overall pick. In other news, Saquon Barkley is still headed for free agency. The New York Giants and Barkley have not had their discussions on a new deal. They can't have those discussions just yet anyway. Uh, it's not in the negotiating period for the NFL right now, but it's coming around the corner quite quickly. Uh, Saquon Barkley looks like he's going to be an impending free agent, and he recently spoke to Ryan Dunleavy of the New York Post and discussed one of the possibility possibilities for him and the Giants to come to terms on an agreement this offseason. And it's a pretty interesting, unique tactic that would allow each party to meet in the middle. So we're going to go ahead and discuss those two main storylines surrounding the New York Giants in today's episode. But before we do so, make sure to leave a like if you do enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Link the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you listen to Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, Alex, how are you doing today, my friend? And let's start off with the Saquon Barkley discussion. I think that'll be kind of the quicker discussion to have here. Barkley looking for that long-term extension, obviously turned down a deal last offseason with the New York Giants that gave him not enough guaranteed money compared to what he was looking for. Do you think that he's going to hit free agency this offseason and find the deal that he's looking for? Or do you think this might be one of those situations where a player is looking for a certain contract and then gets hit with a pretty rough reality wake-up call? Well, you know, the we know that the running back market is definitely not what it used to be. Players are not getting the type of money. We saw Miles Sanders. I mean, he's a good example. He got, what, $6 million per season last year, and he ended up being benched for Chuba Hubbard. So, like, teams are seeing you don't really want to invest at the running back position. Last year's free agency class was, like, all-time bad. Uh, teams got Zach Moss and Devin Singletary for a lot less than Miles Sanders and got substantially more value out of them. So, you know, you kind of see, look, Barkley's not in the same realm as Miles Sanders. He's a lot better than him, obviously. You know, you look at Christian McCaffrey's one year older, and this is the example that Barkley used. Um, I'm one year younger than Christian McCaffrey. I consider him the best in football, and like, look what he's doing for the 49ers. My argument against that would be the 49ers have an elite offensive line, an elite defense, and a really good passing game. They have a really great foundation, and it's really easy for a running back of that quality to step into a really great position and then dominate and, and produce. So, you know, the, the truth right now is that I don't know if there's any teams out there that need Saquon Barkley that are looking to make a playoff run. You know, you look at the Detroit Lions, they have two really, really great running backs. Um, you know, the Buffalo Bills, James Cook, they love him. Miami Dolphins have Raheem Mostert. They got ridiculous value of uh, a chain and some other guys. Like, they don't need him. Uh, like, who else? The Cowboys, maybe he could go to Dallas. We could see. We'll see there. But um, obviously, they're a much better team than the Giants are right now. The Eagles, you know, have gotten a lot of value out of guys like, you know, DeAndre Swift and, you know, Kenneth Gainwell. And, you know, they don't really need Saquon Barkley, the Baltimore Ravens, J.K. Dobbins. Maybe they draft somebody. Um, they had Gus Edwards had a really good year this past season. They don't necessarily need Saquon, but I could see him in Baltimore. The Bengals have Joe Mixon. The Browns have Nick Chubb. Like, a lot of great teams here already have their running back and most of them have them at really cheap costs. So if you're the Giants and you're sitting here like, all right, 
I think it's in our best interest to let Saquon Barkley go to the open market, especially if he's going to come back to us with his top offer. We don't want to be the ones that set the market. We don't want to be the ones that make the big offer. Let him go find out what he's worth on the open market, and he's probably going to find out that he's not as as worth as much as he thought he was. Um, I think the better move is for the Giants to tag and trade him if they're going to go down that route of paying him substantial money. Because, look, the Giants, they're, I love Saquon Barkley. You know, I would love for him to stay on a, on a, you know, on a reasonable contract that makes sense for both parties. But the Giants don't seem like they're interested at all. Based on what happened last year in the business, kind of aside from their perspective, they're in a kind of a rebuilding phase. They don't know what 2024 is going to be like. Their coaching staff just turned over once again at a lot of positions. So they're probably thinking to themselves right now, you know, we need to win, and Saquon Barkley definitely helps us win. But we also need to consist, like, continue this rebuild and adding more talent and bringing in more youth. The Giants had, what, the second youngest team in football last year. I think they're probably going to try and continue on that trend and uh, be, get more athletic, get younger, get cheaper, and try to invest at more um, important positions because the Giants, despite Saquon Barkley's presence, have been a losing team. And that, it sucks to say because, like, Saquon on a winning team would be an asset. He's a luxury item. He's like a Ferrari. But it's like you never see that picture with, like, that Bugatti parked in, like, a parked in the parking lot of like a crap house like that's what Saquon Barkley is like we're the crap house and he's the Bugatti it's like that's kind of what the situation is or the golden trash bag and the in the amount of trash bags that's what the Giants have had um you know Saquon Barkley on a good team would be really fun to watch he and if I were him I'd be looking to go and get like a fair contract on a better team than the Giants where he can win you know actually enjoy some sustained success and have the best of both worlds. Get his bag and play on a winning team. I just don't see the Giants being like that in 2024. And on a long-term extension, they're probably going to end up cutting him, taking the out. Like it probably have to be a three-year deal with an out after the second season. That's how I imagine Joe Shane would structure it. And I guarantee they'd be end up taking the out in the second season. Whereas a, a team that's winning, you know, they they like him. He's an asset, like a Christian McCaffrey type team, like a situation like that. You know, he could he would stick out the rest of the contract. So, you know, the Giants are definitely not the best place to be. They haven't shown to be very loyal to him, um, despite the fact they say that, you know, John Myers says, like, I want Saquon to be a, a Giant for life. Joe Shane has done the exact opposite of that at every single turn. Not nego- I mean, they offered him a deal. But, guys, let me just throw this out there. A lot of people will say, well, the Giants offered him $13 million per season. It's so much different than, you know, base salary is different than guaranteed money. They could have offered him a three-year, $39 million deal, but $15 million guaranteed. They didn't give us the guaranteed money. The guarantees are all that matters here. They could give him, you know, $10 million per season, but $30 million guaranteed, and the contract is worth more than a $15 million guaranteed or a $20 million guaranteed contract with more base base salary. So you have to keep that in mind. We only heard the 13 mil. We did not, we don't know what the guarantees were. Um, and clearly that's where Saquon was like, they're, they're not, that's not fair to me like I'm not going to take a deal that's offering me no guaranteed money but a high base salary because they could just cut me and I'm never going to see that money anyway um so you know that's kind of where I stand on it I don't see the teams here they're going to be offering him big bucks we heard the rumors that Jim Harbaugh loves him and is on his wish list they can clear money they're currently over the salary cap by 48 million dollars they're going to probably cut Khalil Mack and probably going to cut Mike Williams and saving about 40 mil they can restructure Justin Herbert's contract they can make some money but a team like that investing at running back when they need more they need pass rush they need all you know they need secondary support investing at running back certainly doesn't seem like the best move for them but who knows like maybe they do go down that route um you know what are your thoughts on this situation in terms of like saquon wanting a fair deal i just don't know where he's gonna get it 
I don't think he wants a fair deal personally. I think he wants something that far exceeds his projected market value. And I think that's where the issue lies. Saquon Barkley at this point in his career is no longer worth 12 to $13 million per season. That's just a matter of fact. I mean, the guy has had so many injuries. He's torn his knee. He's hurt his ankle like six different times. And last season, he didn't even rush for a thousand rushing yards. He still played in 14 total games. Yeah, he missed three with an injury. But playing in 14 total games as the New York Giants primary source of offensive production and not reaching 1,000 rushing yards is a little bit of a red flag to me. Yeah, he had 1,200 yards for scrimmage. He added a lot of touchdowns through the ground and through uh, the receiving game, and he had a fair amount of receiving yards. Sure, he did a lot of great things for the Giants offense, but he still only finished with 962 rushing yards. I, I, I can't see a world where this guy is worth $12 million like he probably wants per season. Now, if you go ahead and you look on Pro Football Focus, their projected contract for him, two years, $11 million on average annual salary. So they're talking about a two-year, $22 million deal with 15 million guaranteed. Now that sounds fair, but honestly, maybe even a little bit high in my opinion. I don't know if this guy is still worth $10 million per season. If you look at SpotRack, their projected market value for him is $9.9 million per season. And they're comparing that to other running backs uh, who have signed deals recently. Age is factored into this. Production is factored into this. Barkley's 27, guys. Like he is not a spring chicken anymore. He's no longer in the early portion of his NFL career. He is in his prime and arguably on his way out of his prime because running backs have an earlier prime than most NFL positions. Uh, so Saquon Barkley's market value is realistically 10 million-ish, maybe 1 million higher, maybe 1 million lower. But if this guy is still in his mind thinking that he's in the same echelon as the Christian McCaffrey's of the world and going to surpass that $12 million threshold, he's not asking for a fair deal. And he's not asking for what he's worth because he's not worth that anymore. Last offseason, yeah, he was probably worth that. But that one-year difference, it made a difference, and that's why Barkley's so pissed off at the New York Giants. He understands that, and he has every right to be pissed off. He played on that one-year, fully guaranteed $10 million contract, basically revised version of the franchise tag, and that was a fair short-term agreement between he and the Giants. I think he would probably—he doesn't want to get franchise tagged again— I don't see why not. If he gets franchise tagged again, he'll get $12 million fully guaranteed this season, and then he'll definitely cash in for another deal for about $10 million guaranteed long-term uh, the following offseason if he stays healthy. So I don't know. I think that this situation has just kind of gotten out of hand. Things have changed over the course of this past season. Listen, Barkley was worth one thing last year. I don't think he holds the same value. He's now a 27-year-old running back with numerous career-changing injuries under his belt. I just can't see a world where the New York Giants can responsibly pay him $12 million per season. It doesn't make sense to me. And I love Saquon Barkley, and I think he's a tremendous player and an excellent leader and an excellent human being. All those things hold true, regardless of his age and his production. But when you're looking at his age and you're looking at his production, his injury history, all of those different factors come to play here. And I don't think that Saquon Barkley is still worth the 12 plus million that he probably wants on the open market. And I think that once he hits the open market, he's going to get hit with a pretty bad wake-up call. I don't think any team is going to be running to Barkley saying, I want to give you $12 million per season. I think that he's going to go into free agency. He's going to say, I don't want to be franchise tagged. Let me hit the open market. He's going to test that open market. I don't think he's going to get the guaranteed money that, he, that he's hoping for. And I don't think that he's going to get the long-term extension that he's hoping for. I think he's going to get significantly less average annual value once he hits the open market. Teams are not clamoring to sign 27-year-old running backs 
in free agency at big money deals. It's just not a thing anymore. It's a different NFL. It's a passing NFL. These teams that are hitting the open market looking for playmakers, they're looking for receivers. They're hoping T. Higgins shakes free. They're hoping Michael Pittman shakes free into free agency. Then they'll pay up big money. They're not trying to pay up $12 million per season to a running back. It's just not the case anymore in this NFL. So I think personally, if Saquon Barkley does hit the open market, he's going to get hit with a wake-up call. It's going to be a rude reality for him. It's not going to be fun but the Giants are probably going to get him back on what is likely a bargain contract. And I think that the New York Giants, if they're smart about this, they won't franchise tag him and they will not make a deal with him until he tests the open market. They need to see how much teams are willing to pay Saquon Barkley. They can't be negotiating against themselves. They can't be bidding against themselves. The New York Giants are in no position to offer Saquon Barkley a contract until after he tests this open market. That's my opinion. I don't want the Giants overpaying for a 27-year-old running back at this stage in his career. And again, Barkley's still a great player. He did have 1,200 total yards from scrimmage last year, over 10 touchdowns. Like He's still a tremendous asset to this team. But is he still the running back, the elite running back that he was in 2018 and 19 that was worth probably 12 to 14 million? In my opinion, no. And I don't think that most teams feel that way. So the Giants need to let Saquon Barkley hit the open market, test what his value is, and then come up to him with a contract offer. I don't think that they should make any deal until he's tested the open market. But that's just my take on it. And I know a lot of you probably disagree and think that the Giants should pay him what he's earned throughout his career. And that's also a valid argument. He's earned the contract. But how much can he earn in the future is the big question. How much value can he provide to that contract in the future? And that's where I start to feel uneasy about paying Saquon Barkley long term. But how about feeling uneasy about making blockbuster mega trades, Alex? Let's talk about the Chicago Bears rumor. Again, the Chicago Bears reportedly seeking a historic haul for the number one overall pick if they do decide to trade out of it. Sounds like they are not planning on trading down anymore. It really seems like they're going with the rookie quarterback route, trading Justin Fields very likely now. Uh, So Caleb Williams most likely landing with the Chicago Bears. But if the New York Giants want to get really bold here and move up six spots to the number one overall pick and take Caleb Williams, well, let's talk about what that might look like. I'm going to go ahead and give my projected mock draft trade here for the New York Giants. I wrote this up this morning. I was comparing it to last year's deal. Last year, the Giants or the the Panthers gave up their first round pick in last year's draft, which was number eight overall, their second round pick, a future first and a future second, plus DJ Moore. So now if the price tag is elevated this offseason from two firsts, two seconds and a player, I have to assume it's probably three first, three seconds, and a player. So you're talking about the Giants giving up number six, number 39, probably number 47, first overall pick next year, second overall pick next year, and maybe even a first overall pick in in 2026, or first round pick, rather, in 2026, plus a player of a caliber like a Darius Slayton. Now, that is a massive haul for the New York Giants to move up and basically take a mystery box quarterback. I've advocated in the past for trading up and trying to get a quarterback in this draft, but at that price tag, even I feel uneasy about that possibility and feel very apprehensive to the idea of trading away three first-round picks and three second-round picks for a quarterback. Again, that's just my projected mock trade here based on what we're hearing, based on what Ian Rappaport is reporting. It sounds like it's going to be three first, three seconds, or at least somewhere in that price range. Alex, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's something that the New York Giants should even consider taking a a deal like that? I don't want to be on the side of historic deals going out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's a a red line I'm willing, I I have for myself and what I'm willing to give up. I don't want to be the team that gives up the historic deal because 
I think mortgaging your future to a degree you can do, but mortgaging your future to a degree that we've never seen is something that I don't really want to lock ourselves into. Um, you know, you're talking about more draft capital than we'll, you know, we've seen ever and including a player. So it's like, I, I don't necessarily know if this is in the best interest of the Giants to take a risk, a gamble. I'd rather see what happens. I'd rather, I, what I'd rather do, Anthony, is take Malik Neighbors at six and then trade back up into the first round to get J.J. McCarthy. I'd actually rather do that than go all in to land, um, you know, one of those top three quarterbacks because it's going to, like, it's going to cost you a leg and an arm. Um, so if the Giants were like, you know what, we can get a superstar playmaker, a guy that has that type of potential, trade up and get J.J., who, you know, realistically, we still have Daniel Jones on the roster – let JJ sit a year. Like I could get behind that. Um, if it was a reasonable move to trade up and get a guy like Jaden or May or you know whatever it might be, I, I would also consider that. But I'd probably rather that over taking JJ and you know trading back up because you're gonna have to give up substantial haul to move up. You know people are saying he's gonna be a top ten pick now. You're gonna have to move up a lot. You're gonna give up a first round pick to do that. So you know I, I do think that the Giants have options. They're not great options. They're probably gonna end up sticking staying at six and either if a quarterback somehow falls to them taking that quarterback or taking, you know, and I asked this question on Twitter yesterday, if you'd rather take Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze, or Brock Bowers, I was surprised to see how many people said they would not take Bowers at all or consider it. If you, I know, like, listen, guys, I know Brock Bowers isn't, like, the sexy pick because he's a tight end, but keep in mind, this is, like, one of the best pass-catching tight ends we've seen ever coming out of the draft. Like, he is, he is arguably the best college tight end in the history of college football. Like, that's how good Brock Bowers is. He has some of the best hands you're ever going to see. He's probably the best route runner from the tight end position I've ever seen. And the guy is, he's not just a willing blocker. The guy goes 110% every single play. Like, he is one of those players that you, that that has a 10-year tremendous career because every single play, he's at 100%. He doesn't take plays off. You know what I mean? Um, you know, that's something we've had problems with in the past. And if you're going to stick with Daniel Jones, I'm more convinced that he can maximize a tight end than he can a, a wide receiver. Like, I don't know how you feel about that, uh, but, like, a lot of people hate the idea of Brock Bowers. I do not hate the idea of Brock Bowers. If we went Brock Bowers again, yeah, I, I'd prefer neighbors. I, I think I'd, I'd lean that way. But if we ended up a Brock, I am not going to be upset. Um, and if you think that we shouldn't take him, I highly suggest you go take a look at his tape. Um, he is a, He's a star, man. This guy's a monster. Um, and, and, you know, as a receiver, he opens up your offense. He creates mismatches. You can put him out wide. You can use him like a Darren Waller 2.0, but he's healthy. So, like, it's a different type of player. And he's a, he's not, you know, he's not afraid of blocking either. He's a solid blocker. And he's uh, a little bit small, but, man, he plays with you know, the heart of a lion. So, you know, I'll, I'll get your take on that, what your, what your thoughts are in terms of, obviously, I don't want to be on the side of giving up a historical haul for the number one overall pick for a gamble. Um, I think there are better ways to go about this. But if we do end up sticking at number six, which seems like the most likely situation right now, the most likely scenario, you know, would you be upset with Brock Bowers? I, I imagine you'd be okay with him. I'd be okay with Bo Brock Bowers because I think Brock Bowers is an elite talent. And I think that no matter what, if the New York Giants are not trading up a big haul for a quarterback, they need to land an elite talent with the sixth overall pick in the draft. Now, you do have to kind of factor in positional value to these draft picks. I mean, when you're talking about just your best graded players on your draft board, you have to weigh in positional value. And that's why quarterbacks get pushed up the draft board, of course, because there's no position more valuable in all of sports than the quarterback position in the NFL. So when you're looking at 
is this quarterback a second round talent? Do we have a late first round pick? Okay, we can move him up our board, take him in the first round because we know how valuable that position is. It's the same thing with tight ends, except for the fact that tight ends get pushed down the board because tight ends are not the most valuable position in football. If you're looking at average annual salaries for tight ends compared to that of wide receivers, wide receivers make more money. So getting a first round wide receiver on a cost controlled contract is more important than getting a first round tight end on a cost controlled contract. The average annual value is much more of a bargain for a rookie wide receiver or wide receiver on a rookie deal who's putting up a thousand yards per season than it is for a tight end on a rookie deal who's putting up a thousand yards per season. Getting a receiver in the top 10 who ends up being a thousand yard receiver and number one receiver is one of the best bargains, one of the best value contracts that you can have in the NFL. Uh, arguably the second best. Number one best value that you get is a first round quarterback, which again is why you can argue that the New York Giants need to trade up and draft a quarterback and reset that rookie contract uh, at the quarterback position, reset that window. But outside of quarterback, one of the other best positions to get that bargain rookie contract on, it is wide receiver. Another one I would say is edge rusher. The Giants have one of those with um, Kayvon Thibodeau, which is great. And then another one is offensive tackle, which they have with Evan Neal, but he's not panning out so far. But then if you're looking at those other positions, I think wide receiver is one of the best bargains on that rookie contract, and tight end just isn't one of those. So I do understand why fans would be apprehensive to the idea of drafting Brock Bowers with the sixth overall pick. But the argument would be Brock Bowers is arguably the best college football tight end ever just ever the best prospect to come out of college at that position and if that's how the New York Giants view him if that's how they feel then they should take him with a sixth overall pick because he could be a game-changing talent a player that transcends your offense and changes the way that it runs completely because having a tight end that can make plays at all three levels in the receiving game is game-changing I mean look at the Kansas City Chiefs look at the New England Patriots during their dynasty run when they had Rob Gronkowski and even Aaron Hernandez I know it's probably not a good player to bring up but he was a really good player in his prime and having both him and Gronkowski gave the New England Patriots the best offense in football. So when you're looking at the way that a tight end can change the dynamic of an offense, take away the middle of the field and open things up on the boundaries for your other receivers, the New England Patriots didn't have an elite number one receiver for many of those seasons that they were in those Super Bowl contentions, right? Because Sure, they had that one year where they had uh, Randy Moss and they went to a Super Bowl and lost to the New York Giants. Let's go. But then all those other seasons, it was Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola, Wes Welker, some of these lesser prolific wide receivers and the offense was built around a great quarterback and a great tight end and the way that that was able to transform their offense because you're basically taking the safety and the linebacker out of the play every single play because they have to double team your tight end and then those receivers have a lot of one-on-one matchups so if the New York Giants want to replicate that model which is something that Brian Dable hailing from the New England coaching tree might be interested in then they're going to want to take Brock Bowers with the number six overall pick but in my opinion this NFL, this modern NFL, it is very important to have an elite wide receiver. I think it does a lot for the development of your quarterback. It does a lot to open up your offense in both the receiving game and the running game. It does a lot in that facet as well. And again, because of the contract that you're going to have that rookie wide receiver on, it makes it such a great value deal for you. So if it were up to me, if it were between Malik Neighbors and Brock Bowers, I would take Malik Neighbors. If it were between Brock Bowers and Romo Dunze, I'd probably take Odunze, but that one's a lot closer for me. I think that Brock Bowers is probably a better prospect than Romo Dunze, and he's a really special talent. Both of them are, but Brock Bowers more so. Uh, So, you know, not to get too too deep on this tangent about wide receiver versus tight end at number six, 
I see why fans are apprehensive to to Brock Bowers at number six overall, but you got to see how the draft board plays out. And if the Giants do stick and pick with the BPA model, best player available kind of theory, best player available is very likely to be Brock Bowers. And if they're going best player available, they're going to go Brock Bowers. And for what it's worth, the Detroit Lions went best player available last year. They got Jameer Gibbs, made a deep playoff run. They're one of those teams that always takes BPA, and they've drafted really well over the last like three or four seasons, and they're now a powerhouse in the NFC. So you can make an argument for going best player available every single time. And the Lions would be a good argument of that. But you could also make an argument for making sure that you're getting players with good positional value. I think the Chiefs would be a pretty good example of that when they traded up for Patrick Mahomes. They recognize the value of a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract. So there's arguments to make for both sides. The other half of this that I do want to touch on and give my take on, what I want to be involved if I was in the New York Giants in a historic trade, I think that's questionable just because of the way that this roster is built. If this team had a few more pieces and didn't have all this coaching staff overturn, I think the coaching staff overturn is what really changes it for me, Alex, because I don't know what this defense is going to look like next year. Wink Martindale's gone. His defense ranked 27th. It wasn't the best unit in the league, but it ranked second in the NFL in takeaways. That was great. And when you're looking at the way that they might have to change things around for this scheme, that's where it gets really questionable because we thought that this Giants defense had holes, but now that they're changing their scheme, they opened probably five more holes on their defense because it's no longer just a 3-4 defense. It's a hybrid defense. It's a multiple front defense. They're playing 3-4 and 4-3. They need more pieces in the secondary. They need more pieces in the front seven. So I don't think this, this is a team that can afford to sacrifice this many assets anymore. If they retained Wink Martindale and the coaching staff remained the same and they didn't open up all these holes on their defense, I would be a little bit more aggressive if I were Joe Shane. I would say, okay, we can sacrifice some of these assets knowing that we have guys coming back into the scheme that are going to continue to develop. But they don't have that fallback plan anymore. They have to fill a lot of holes on this on this defense and on this offense, as we all know. So with all these holes to fill, I don't think that the Giants can afford to sacrifice this many assets over the next three years, especially, um, in order to get one quarterback. And I think a quarterback can change and elevate a team and make you an instant Super Bowl contender if they're good enough. But finding those guys has proven to be far more difficult um, over the past several seasons. It's really tough to get a generational quarterback, as we all know. So with so many holes on this team, Alex, I don't think that they should be involved in any historic trade hauls. Uh, but if they decide that they want to move up to the third overall pick or something and take a quarterback at a reasonable price point for a trade, then I'll get behind it. But right now, moving up to the number one overall pick, I think that dream is just about dead. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I definitely am not feeling very optimistic the Bears want to move out. I mean, everything that I've heard suggests that, um, you know, they're definitely, or not definitely, but most likely moving on from Justin Fields. And for what it's worth, they're looking for like first or second round picks um, for Justin Fields. I don't think they're going to get a first round pick. Um, I would rather take a developmental player like J.J. McCarthy than, um, you know, uh, than go and trade for Justin Fields, who's kind of in the same situation that uh, Daniel Jones was last year. He's heading into that, you know, they have to make a decision on his fifth year option. You know, he could get average quarterback money, which is like $40 million per season. And like, are the Giants going to go and like trade for Justin Fields, give him the same contract they gave Daniel Jones, and then also have to face the same reality of like, he may not pan out and we have to take the out and then we have dead money at the quarterback position already and paying another big deal. I just don't see how it's possible. I guess, you know, I guess anything's possible, but I'd rather get a guy use DJ as a bridge this upcoming season and then transition to a young quarterback. Like that's 
I think my preferable um, kind of situation would be, or just keep Daniel Jones until you find your quarterback and, you know, plug and play him. And, you know, you figure out the contract later on and you move on and takes a, a little bit more dead money in the future from DJ. But, you know, it's all going to come down to finding that finding that quarterback to win a championship. And listen, I was just I was just looking at that throw from Eli Manning to Mario Manningham in the Super Bowl, like one of the best throws of all time. You see those throws, right? That quarterbacks make in the final moments, the, 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 the those throws that decide games. I don't see Daniel Jones making that throw. You know what I mean? Like when the game's on the line, they got to make that. They got to drive down the field fourth quarter with one minute left, and they got to score. I don't think he's got it in him. I don't think he's got that level of talent. So. You know, not many players do. This is not about Daniel Jones. This is like the majority of, of quarterbacks in football. They can't make that throw. They can't do that. They can't make that la- that last-minute game-winning drive. Um, it takes a special player to do that. The Giants need to find that special player. Otherwise, we're going to be sitting here as a mid-team for the foreseeable future. But listen, you never know when you're going to hit on somebody special. You never know when you're going to find somebody who's going to suddenly become that guy. I mean, Brock Purdy... Last pick in the draft is that guy for the 49ers. They spent the ninth overall pick on Trey Lance, and then you know you end up settling with Brock Bowers two years later, and suddenly they have their franchise quarterback. It's it's ridiculous how it happens. You never know who's going to be good. The, the top three quarterbacks in this year's draft could be absolutely terrible and never amount to anything, and then somehow like Bo Nix ends up becoming great, and everyone's like, "What the hell happened?" You know, like how did that happen? It happens all the time. You know what I mean? Um, it happens all the time in the NFL. You never really know. So you just you just got to have the right system for the the right player and I think that if there's anything to consider when it comes to those top three teams needing a quarterback it, it, there's nothing saying right now that like Jaden Daniels fits the Patriots system or fits the Washington Commanders system or Drake May fits their system I don't think they're just going to take a quarterback to take a quarterback I think they're going to take the player that fits what they need and fits their system if they don't think Drake May is a good fit for them they're not going to take Drake May you know what I mean if they don't think Jaden Daniels is a good fit for them they're not going to take Jaden Daniels um but again they kind of need they kind of need those quarterbacks, so they may decide to form an offense around those talents, form them around those strengths. So we'll see how it goes. You never know. The Giants could luck into somebody, anything really, um, and be like, "Well, that's the NFL draft. It's a crapshoot." So you know, the hope the hope is still there. We still have evergreen faith. This Giants team will figure it out. Of course, it's not been um, very rewarding the last couple of years, but. Hopefully we can turn things around and get ourselves a blue chip prospect that can help us at least put more points in the board because our defense has been inconsistent, but our offense has been hard to watch and we really need a game breaker. You know what I mean? Like we needed like even when OBJ was in his prime here, like at least we knew we were going to score points at some points and at least we know we could we had someone that could break a game open um, in the blink of an eye and you know that obviously we don't Saquon Barkley has kind of been that for us and that's why you'd pay him. But, you know, age is catching up. He's had those seasons where seasons where he's been injured. The offensive line is spotty. Receivers can do it a little bit easier than running backs because, like, teams are just stacking the box against the Giants and stopping our run game and forcing us to pass the ball, and we can't do it. Um, a receiver, like, man, we would just throw that thing up to OBJ, and he'd somehow come down with it. Like, that's the, that was the type of talent he was in his, in his early years. So um, definitely curious to see how the Giants go about this moving forward. But there are some really great talent um, available at number six, and I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, I'm thrilled. I I think it's going to be a really interesting and exciting 2024 NFL draft. We're still a long ways away. We still got free agency coming up, which is a whole nother important and exciting period of this offseason for the Giants. I mean, there's a lot of talent in this free agency class, like more so than usual. Of course, that could change. These are impending free agents. They're not unrestricted free agents just yet. A lot of these guys could get tagged, sign extensions. 
but there should be a fair amount of talent available for the Giants to really bolster their roster in free agency leading up to the draft. So it should be an exciting offseason for the Giants. I mean, we keep talking about it. We're super excited about it. I'm sure you guys are as well. Uh, Last point that I'll make, though, about taking a receiver at number six Project quarterbacks rarely work. I know a lot of Giants fans are like, let's take the best playmaker at six. Let's pair it with a quarterback in round two. They rarely pan out. Uh, I think that when you're looking at guys like a Michael Penix, I think he's going to be a high-end backup for the majority of his career. Bo Nix, probably the same. I mean, it's it's arguable that these guys turn into starters, but they're so limited in certain aspects of their game. But there is one quarterback, and I'm just going to throw this out there kind of for fun, that stands out as one of those projects that's it's like a lottery ticket project, right? This guy's either booming and becoming a starter or he's going to fail out of the NFL probably. It's Spencer Rattler. So if the Giants do wind up taking a project quarterback in those middle rounds, personally, one of those projects like a Michael Penix or Bo Nix doesn't move me very much because you kind of know what you have in those guys. Like long term, I don't think they're turning into elite NFL quarterbacks, but they can probably turn into really good starters or like average backups like that kind of level but with Spencer Rattler being that he was a former projected number one overall pick he's got all the tools and traits like he's your boom or bust prospect that if his career went differently he'd be the number one overall pick that everybody's talking about but it didn't go the way he planned for it to Caleb Williams had a lot to do with that that's like his biggest supervillain, his nemesis in his life it's kind of messed up but if you're Spencer Rattler you could draft it in the middle rounds you don't get drafted to a team that's hoping to develop you into a backup. You're getting drafted by a team that's hoping that you develop into a starter. And that's not the case for a Bo Nix or a Pratt or a Jordan Travis. Those guys are drafted with the hope that they turn into quality backups. I think that any team drafting Spencer Rattler in those middle rounds is really hoping that they're getting one of those lottery tickets that booms into an eventual starter and a high-level one at that. So if the Giants are going to take a project in the middle rounds, I'm hoping that it's Spencer Rattler. That's an exciting pick to me. And I know he's not the best prospect in the world, but that's why I'm talking about middle rounds. But that would be one of those picks where I'm like, I don't know what this kid is going to be. He's either going to be elite or he's going to be terrible. And I'm excited by that. And I think that's what the New York Giants, if they are going to get somebody to play behind Daniel Jones and develop, I want it to be a boom or bust kind of guy like a Rattler. So that's just kind of like my off topic but on topic take about the number six overall pick you get that receiver sure middle rounds that's when i'd circle back for quarterback but really only for a rattler level guy who's just boom or bust i like those kind of prospects in the middle rounds but the super bowl is tomorrow you reminded me of that when you mentioned eli manning special play to mario manningham few players in the nfl can make that play uh, honestly i'd argue that that throw i i have this take it's the best throw in super bowl history i i think that's like you can't really debate that. I mean, the level of pinpoint accuracy on that. And he also didn't have the cleanest platform. There was an offensive lineman who was getting pushed into his face and clutch moment too. Eli Manning was just different. So special. Uh, He's now eligible for the Hall of Fame next season. I can't wait. If he gets inducted, I will definitely be going to Canton to watch that sobbing and happiness watching him get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning's my hero. But anyway, I'm saying all this to say, Alex, the Super Bowl is tomorrow. Let's throw out our predictions for the big game. Who you have in this one? I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think you can stop Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl this year. Him and Travis Kelsey are going to have a field day, um, and I think that they're going to win by at least a touchdown. I, I I physically can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. Mm. Like, it's... I mean, anytime people try, he wins. Like, he turns into a different level player in the postseason. He's different um, in this, and he's been here before. You know what I mean? Like, he knows what it takes to win these games. I think that the 49ers are a very, very good team. And look, if I'm the 49ers, my game plan is very simple. Keep the ball 
as long as you possibly can. Grind out drives, pick up first downs, you know, milk the clock because any amount of time that Patrick Mahomes has to win this game, he will win this game. If you give him the chances, he will score. And ultimately, he doesn't make very many very many mistakes in the in the postseason, let alone the Super Bowl. If if you're the 49ers, you run the ball heavy, you pick up the first downs, and you stop them from getting momentum. The second that Mahomes starts to get that momentum, he doesn't let it go. That's the craziest thing about him is that like he gets that taste, he scores one time. And it's over. Like he has you. He has you by by the neck. So, you know, if I'm the 49ers, I'm running the football a lot, setting the tone on the ground, being physical. Your offensive line has to win. You have to win against the Chiefs defensive line. Chris Jones, gonna be tough. Gonna be tough. Gotta double team him. Gotta get those first downs. Christian McCaffrey, gotta have the game of your life, man. Like ultimately, you have to get the, have the game of your life. Pick up those first downs. Keep the clock. Keep momentum away from the Chiefs, and you might be able to keep this game close. So. I think that yeah, I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. But you know that if if the if the Forty Nineers can operate that game plan to a T, I think that they could sneak one out here too. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Forty ers are an excellent team. There's a reason they're in this game. I think that they are the better team on paper. Like I think this is the better roster, the Forty ers that is. But just Patrick Mahomes, I always like to bet just on the better quarterback, right? Take the better quarterback. They usually elevate, they rise to the occasion, and they're the difference makers. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the world, so therefore, I think the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. Like, it's just that simple. I know that there's a lot on paper that tells you the running game of the 49ers, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy's been amazing, Kyle Shanahan is an excellent coach, though his decision-making in big moments has been questionable. Um, So, I don't know. I just think that Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, they're going to have a great game, (laughs) and they're going to win the Super Bowl, and it's going to be... Not what all NFL fans really want to see happen, but I think ultimately it's what will happen. But it should be a good game. I'm also excited for the, the Super Bowl commercials. I think um, there's going to be some cool ones. I know the Deadpool trailer, if anybody's a Marvel fan, that's going to come out tomorrow. I'm excited for that. But yeah, it's going to be a fun one. So we'll, we'll definitely unpack what any takeaways that we have from the Super Bowl on Monday and kind of discuss, you know, if there's anything that we take away from it that might impact the New York Giants for sure. Uh, of course, we're going to continue to update you on this crazy offseason for the New York Giants right here on Fireside Giants. So make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode. Comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you listen to Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. Without further ado, we will catch you all in the next one. Have a good one, and let's go Giants.